Happy 4th of July. I, I, uh, we're kind of in the middle of our, our sermon series. We're going to start a new sermon series for the summer next week. We're going to be starting off with a looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to spend the whole summer just diving into that. So uh, be ready for that. that that'll be a, a great series. But I, I wanted just to share, I really haven't talked much about just the, uh, just the state of our, our country. How many know this is kind of a big year? And uh, yeah, everything, <laughs> ah, uh, my sentiments exactly. And I was really thinking this would be, I just thought this, <laughs> I thought this would be an appropriate time just to talk about our country and, and how can, what can we do? What, 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 cause sometimes don't you feel helpless at times as a Christian? Like, man, what, what is going on? Right. And, uh, but how do you know that God knows what's going on? God is, is, God is not oblivious to anything that's going on. And I want us to know that I want you to know this morning that God is sovereign. The book of Daniel tells us that he raises up leaders and he takes them down. And behind all of this, God is doing his work. So how do we as, as Christians position ourselves to be in the will of God so that we can rightly discern the times and pray for our country? So I've, I've got some passages here that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping will help us. And what I want to do, in, instead of pointing the finger at all the things that, that we see is wrong, because obviously we could be here weeks, months, years, pointing all the things that are wrong. But what I want to do is I want to look at ourselves. That, that we need to look at ourselves. God, what do we need to do? How do we need to change so that we can be more in line with your will and, and rightly pray for our country and do what you've called us to do? And I want to give you a couple passages of scripture here. The one that I'm going to kind of dive into is Psalms 33, verses 12 through 22. And then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to layer that with some New Testament passage, some words from Christ. But listen to these words of the psalmist. It said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of, of the earth. He who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. A war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eyes of the Lord. Listen, behold, the eyes of the Lord is on those who what? Fear him. For those who hope is, is in his steadfast love that he may deliver their souls from death and keep them alive in famine. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. We're going to dissect this verse in just a minute, but let me give you some New Testament passage about freedom and what it means to truly trust the Lord. Jesus speaking in John 8, 31 through 32, and Jesus said to his people who believed in him, he said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth is what will set you free. Going on a little further in verse 34, Jesus replied, he goes, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. But a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Now, I was doing some 
I'm, I, I am a little bit of a, a, a history buff. That was probably the only class I did well in in school. Uh, so I loved, I loved history. I don't know why. It just enamored me. I loved geography. I had a globe in my room, and I would just spend nights just looking at the globe and looking at different countries. And I loved mountain ranges and how high mountains are and rivers. And I just, I don't know why, I just, I geek out over that stuff. So I, I like to study history. And I was doing a little bit of history just on, on our country and um, some of the principles that our country was built on. And there's many godly principles that our country was built on. And um, even the, our country's original documents were based on scripture. Um, even the separation of governmental powers were taken from Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33:22 says, for, for the Lord is our judge and lawgiver and our king. He will care for us and save us. And from this very scripture, our forefathers established the judicial, legislative, executive branches of our government. Um, even those many who signed the Declaration of Independence gave up so much uh, to do this and, and breaking away from England. It cost them everything. And the reason was for freedom. There was a sense that we wanted to come under this bondage to be free and to create our own country. And we are blessed. And I'm thankful for the men and women who, who gave up so much so we could enjoy the freedoms that we have today. I remember in the 80s, there was a, a, a big migration um, from those who, who lived in the Soviet Union, particularly in the Ukraine, from, from many of the sufferings that went on in religious persecution. And there's many people that moved to Rochester uh, from, the, from the Ukraine, uh, from the former Soviet Union, the persecution they went through, especially religious uh, persecution. And many came to Rochester. And, and uh, when I was a new Christian, we met a lot of these new families. Some came to my home church. It was great meeting some of these people. They were great uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I remember hearing this one story from this uh, one woman whose family came from the, the Ukraine. Brought her, you know, The father brought the whole family over. And I remember her telling me this story. She, was, she remembers when she was a little girl living in the former Soviet Union, that what would happen is the government would come to their house and her father was a very skilled tradesman. And what they would do is they would just take him away. And they didn't know if they were going to take him away for good. And many times they would take him away for two or three weeks alone to do work for the government. And then they would bring him back home. And he had no choice over that. He had to go or he would be put in prison. And, and she remembers as a little girl this fear coming over her heart because she felt like we weren't free. We were always looking over our shoulder. We were always wondering, you know, when's the government going to come? When they're gonna, are they going to take my dad away? Is he ever going to come back? You know, there's this constant uh, sense of fear in our lives. And, and thank God we don't have that right now, that we live in a country where we're free to come and, and, and worship. But we know that freedom isn't free. How many know that? It's all, and, and I want to really dig into this. Um, I know many of you have, um, have served in, in, in our military services, and thank you for, for doing that, and um, uh, thank you for serving. And you, you get that. You understand, especially those you've served in war, and uh, we appreciate your service. Uh, we found this old picture of my grandfather from World War II. I got a picture of it. I just thought this was cool. There's my, my grandfather's on the right. Did not know I was going to do that. Sorry. He was in World War II. That's his brother on the left, and they met up in France after uh, after D-Day. And um, my grandfather was a good man, loved God, 
loved his country and he was a good man. You can take that down. I didn't know I was going to do that. I just thought it was kind of a cool picture of my granddad in France with, with his brother. But thank you for serving. And we know that freedom, we know that freedom is not free. And um, we tend to forget that even the war on, on, on terror has cost us close to 7,000 lives since the Gulf War. And um, I think we can easily forget that we are in a war and that men and women are in harm's way daily. And it's important for us to, to, to pray for our country. And, and, and this is such an important year. And it's an important election. And, and we need to pray. And so the question is this, and what I want to bring to you this morning is, how do we pray? And I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I don't want to get political here. Um, but I want to encourage you um, to pray. Because God has us here. And we live in this country, and um, uh, we need to be a light where we live. And, and we need to be salt, and we need to have truth in where we live, in our communities, in our country. And we can, we can easily see all the things that are going on in our country and get discouraged. And we can see the things that, that, that are being devalued, including the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. And we can easily point the finger at all the problems. But how many know that we can't legislate morality? We, we can't do that. And Jesus didn't come to legislate, legislate morality. He came to change us from the inside out. He came to set us free from the worst dictator, and that was sin. And so Jesus says, as we read in these passages, that we've become a, a slave to sin. So instead of pointing out everything that's wrong in, in our world today or even in our, our country today, I would say, God, deal with us first. God, first change our hearts so that we can pray correctly. I know it's easy just to get angry at what's going on, but I would say, God, first take our hearts and and change us. And and I would say, I've got one point this morning. This is the only point I want to bring up this morning is this, that we must humble ourselves before God. In order to have a fresh perspective of our country and and, and the right way to pray, we must humble ourselves before God. And you can see that common thread throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, that those that humbled themselves before the Lord, the Lord lifted them up. God wanted, whether it was the Israelites or in the New Testament, God says, I'm going to oppose the proud, but I'll give grace to the humble. There was something about people giving their lives to the Lord, humbling themselves before God, and God lifting them up. up. There was this dependency on God that, God, you are the one that's in control, and we want to hear your voice, and we want to be led by your spirit. When I watch my uh, boys play football, um, it's interesting the way they respond to the coach right? When you respond to the coach, you don't, you don't ask questions to the coach. You, you just do what the coach tells you to do, especially in a football team, because you have so many positions and everybody has to play their position correctly. And so the coach has got a lot of, uh, of directing to do. But one thing that I love is when the players come up and the coach brings them off the field or he's in practice, I, 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 our coach, Coach Marchand, always tells them this, boys, take a knee. Take a knee. And so you got these big boys and they take off their helmets and you see him taking a knee. And if a kid's not taking a knee, what did I say? Take a knee. And there's a thing that there's like, okay, there's the coach 
We are the players. It's this type of humility. It's this submission to listen to the authority of the coach to give the directions to to the team. It's a sign of humility. They're to listen to what the coach is telling them. They're under authority. I, I like to see that. I think we need to take a knee. And we need to humble ourselves. We, we, we need to admit that we need God. And, and I know our country needs God. But, but I need God. I need to take a knee. I know our country needs to take a knee. Right? I know our leaders, they need to take a knee. Right? All the bickering going back and forth and just, it, you know, the commercials. They drive me crazy too. All right? They need to take a knee. But you know what? I need to take Ruth is like, amen. Uh, but how many of you know I need to first take that knee? And, and I've got to humble myself before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, so I have to admit that I don't have all the answers and I need help. That's why I want to jump into Psalms 33. What does the psalmist say here? Well, let's, let's look at it again from this perspective. The psalmist says this. From where he sits enthroned and he looks out on all the inhabitants of earth. He who fashioned the hearts of all of them and observes all their needs. The king is not saved by his great army or a warrior delivered by his great strength. Or a war horse is a false sense of hope of salvation or by, by it its great might cannot rescue. Behold, the eyes of the Lord on those are on those are on those who do what? Fear him on those who put their hope in his steadfast love. Now, now we can put our trust in things, but what the scripture is saying here, what the psalmist is saying is that we can't ultimately, we can't ultimately trust in those things and those things cannot ultimately save us. The eye of the Lord are on those who fear him and have put their hope in him. We must first, if we're going to look at our country correctly and really know how to pray and be in God's will for this, especially for this upcoming election, um, I believe that we first must repent from our sins and from our waywardness. And, and when, we get, when we get a realistic view of ourselves, then we'll be able to pray correctly for our nation. And I believe there's two things that, that the church needs to repent from as a whole. Not, not just us, but the church needs to repent from as a whole is that we need to change our apathy and, and we need to change our entitlement mentality. And, and I, I don't mean to get down or, or to be, you know, a bummer today, but I believe there's great apathy in the church today and there's this entitlement. That's why I enjoy going on mission trips because it recalibrates my spirituality again. Because when you get together with other brothers and sisters in other countries and they don't have the same privileges that we have, yet they worship God and they thank him for even what they're enduring, it really does change your heart to see what we do have. And so we need to change this apathy and this entitlement mentality. And this is how we do it. How do we change it? Because we all, I fall into it. You fall into it. How many of you know, you know, our, you know, we're waiting in line at McDonald's or Wendy's. And if they're not right on time, we're like, what's up? Right? And we open up and say, wait a minute. I asked for no pickles. What's up with that? No pickles. How hard is that? Right? We, we all do it. We all, we all get this entitlement. And, there's, and for a Christian, we've got to really guard our hearts against this. So, so how, do we, how do we guard our hearts against this? So that hearts can be correct. So that we humble ourselves before the Lord. We're truly seeking his face and he's first changed us. How do we do this? Well, first of all, here's, here's the mentality. This is what we've got to get into our thinking. 
We've got to realize that we don't deserve anything and everything is a gift of God. We don't deserve a thing. We didn't earn anything. We didn't merit anything. Everything that's been given to us is by God's grace. When you have that type of thinking, it changes your perspective. When you say, God, I don't deserve anything, but it's by your grace. It's by your grace that we live in this country. It's by your grace that we're able to to worship freely this morning. It's by your grace. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it, but it's simply by your grace. The moment we think that I'm owed something, humility goes out the window. The minute when I think I'm entitled to something, humility goes out the window. And we're not going to pray correctly. We won't pray correctly for our country. And so we need to take a knee. And we, and we, have, to, we have so much to be thankful for. And, and we have the freedom to worship God without this persecution. Freedom to worship. It costs men and women their lives. Freedom ultimately. And that's what we have to look at. Because when I look at freedom and, and, and the wonderful country that we live in today, and I look at the freedom that, that we're given, I can't help but think the, the, the freedom that cost Jesus his very life that frees me from the very sin that entangles us. And I love this word, verse because it shows the character of God. Because when I realize the sin that I was entangled to and, and the eternity that I do deserve because of my sin and what Jesus Christ came to release me from the bonds of sin, to set me free. I love this verse because I think the Apostle Paul just encapsulates it so well. Ephesians 1, 7, here's what he says. Here, here's the character of God and how much he loves us. He says, God, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with what? With the blood of his son. And what did he do, what did he do also? And he forgave us of what? Our sins. And so Jesus redeems us back from the slavery of sin. Our freedom was made possible only through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I don't earn anything. I don't deserve anything. By God's grace, he gives us his son, who was perfect in every way, who was God. Became a sacrifice for you and I. He paid the payment in order for us to be set free from sin. Jesus paid the ransom note by giving his own life. And this appeased God's demand and it satisfied his holiness. And what the scriptures tell us that when I am in Christ, I am free. I'm free. No longer am I held captives from from sin and, and headed to a destitute life of eternal hell and damnation. But now I'm free in Christ. The gift of eternal life has been given to me through Christ Jesus. We have so much to be thankful for. I can remember Costa Rica about 10 years ago. We were, it was just miserable. Just, oh, it was like a, a foot of mud. Well, I, I, no, I'm exaggerating, but maybe it was this. No, there's about mud about this deep, maybe six inches deep that we were trying to build block walls in this church. And it was just muddy. It rained the whole week. We were going to November, which was a rainy season. I remember taking wheelbarrows of concrete through the mud, right? And there's this one guy who was Costa Rican, who was working with us, and he's just whistling, <whistles> praising the Lord, wheeling them on all day long. It, I just, I'm looking at him and go, will you stop it? You're making us all look bad. Can you just be miserable for like five minutes, like all of us, right? And the thing of it is, you just saw, so I, I talked to him, and, and, I, and, and he, could speak, he could speak a little English, and I, we got talking, and I said, well, what, what's, what's going on in, in your heart and life? And he goes, man, Brother, I'm, I just love the Lord. I'm so thankful for what he did for me. 
And, and that night we were worshiping in the, the other church that um, they were building a new church. We were worshiping the old church and it had a tin roof and it was raining again uh, the whole week. And there's rain coming through the roof. And there were, they, they got us umbrellas for, for our ladies so they wouldn't get wet. You know, it was just pouring. They were so kind to us. And here's this guy with his family and his teenagers just worshiping the Lord. Just, just worshiping the Lord. Um, and then when I come to find out, he lived in one part of the church and helped out the church all the time. And just, you could see this was a guy who was set free. You could see that he was set free from his sins and just loved the Lord and worshiped the Lord. It was so good to see. And, you know, just knowing that the, the circumstance or the conditions was not going to rob him from who he was in Christ and how Christ had set him free. And so I want to go back to John chapter 8 because this is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, he said, listen, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. And here's what we falsely believe. We think when we are free, we're ultimately free to make our own choices. But how many know that apart from Christ, it actually makes us a slave to those choices that we make? And we think that being free is actually, oh, I can do what I want. I can make my own choices. I have no one over me, no one telling me what to do. And how many know just the opposite happens? That, that in fact, it, it leads us into slavery. And I want you to think of it this way. We think I'm okay because I'm not like that person. I'm much better than they are. And so we compare our godliness with others. We measure our righteousness with others. And here's the problem with that. When I measure my righteousness against God, I come up short every time. And the Bible says that we've all fallen short of God's glory, his perfection. And so we are a slave to sin. We can easily be sold. And that's why Jesus says, he says, a slave is not a permanent member of the family. And so the first step to freedom is admitting that I've fallen short of God's perfection. And so if I'm going to rightly pray for this country, I've got to look at my own heart and say, God, I've fallen short. I can look at my own life and say, oh, look how much better I am and look at what all these other people are doing and look where the country is going. But I've got to look at my own life and say, God, I've, I've fallen short of your perfection. See, it's not a checklist. As long as I, I haven't robbed a bank or killed anyone, then my out good outweighs my, my bad. But here's, here's a good definition of sin. A good definition of sin, it's not doing what God asks us to do. And we broke his law. And if we're all honest here, at one point or another, we've all broken one or more of God's commandments. And because of that, we're guilty before God and we deserve death. So every single one of us are guilty. And, and, and this is what makes Jesus' death so powerful. And this is what sets us free. And this is what keeps us humble. And that's why I keep bringing you back to the cross as your pastor. Because if we don't keep coming back to the cross, I get too full of myself. I get too full of my righteousness. I get too full of thinking that my way is the right way. And I've got to keep coming back to the cross and realize I don't deserve anything. And this is what makes Jesus' death so powerful. He took the penalty of sin upon himself and died the death that we should have died and then conquer sin and death through his resurrection. And so here's our hope in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin and a permanent member of that family. In Christ, we are now sons and daughters forever. We have a home and we can't, we cannot be sold by sin any longer because of Jesus Christ. So the question we have to ask ourselves, am I truly free? And the only way we can truly be free is by coming to Christ in his grace through faith and you'll be saved and set free. See, if we're going to correctly pray for our country, it has to start with us. 
And so now that I understand what Christ has done for me, what he's done for us, how do we correctly pray for this country? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to get a little radical with you here today. This is probably not going to be the typical thing that you've ever heard of how we're going to pray for our country, right? I'm not going to give you the typical, you know, uh, if we keep praying that, um, you know, things are all going to turn around, everything's going to be hunky-dory. And uh, let me, let me, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Um, and and I, I, I believe this scripture outlines the way we need to pray and how we need to see correctly. Um, it's not going to be through better government. It's, it's, that's not going to change our nation. It's not going to come from better education. It's not going to change our country. Um, it's not going to come to, if, you know, if we have uh, uh, a better economy. It's not going to come. It's not going to do it. You see, only God can change the heart of a nation, of any nation. And so I believe that, that this verse in Hebrews is a blueprint on, on how we ought to pray for our country. Now, this is radical, but listen to the warning the Hebrew writer gives, and I believe we need to heed this. Are you right? This is probably not the way you've ever heard this spoken before, but I believe this is the blueprint on how we're supposed to pray for our country. Are you ready? Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. Here's what the Hebrew writer says. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. Exclamation point. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens also. This means that all of creation will, will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe for our God is a devouring, consuming fire. Amen. Amen. So, so what's going on here? Let's see what's going on here. See, this is what Moses says. Moses spoke for God about Sinai. And what happens is the Israelites literally rejected God's warning to them. They did not heed the warning of Moses. And so what the Hebrew writer says, how much greater will it be when we reject God's voice? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm talking about me. Okay. And sometimes in me, I'm just like, God, do what you got to do. Take him down. Right. Humble him, God. Right. You get that. Am I the only one that gets that way sometimes, right? You, you get that. When I, I, when I read some of David's Psalms, I'm like, amen, David. Woo, I'm with your brother, right? We see that and you get, you get fired up, right? You get fired up. But here's the thing. This verse bothers me. And it should bother every single one of us. 
Because God's judgment is going to come to this world. And he's going to shake the things that can be shaken. And the things that we've built our life upon, we're going to realize, what were we doing? Why were we putting so much trust and faith in things that are fading away? And God says, I'm going to shake those things. So here's what I want to propose to you. Here's what I want to propose to you. We know this is how the world will close. He says, until this great shaking we will see all the birth pains that Jesus is talking about. We're going to see calamities all around us, and we do. We're seeing them all over the place. These are, what these are, are this, according to this chapter, this verse in Hebrews. These are reminders all the time to us, don't trust in this world. Now, this verse is saying that God will shake everything that can be shaken and the only things that are unshakable will, will remain. And we know, we know that the only thing that will remain is God's kingdom. And so on this 4th of July weekend, I believe this should be our prayer. God, do whatever you need to do to wake us up. You see, when God shakes things, I want you to see it this way. And this is hard to see it this way because I don't understand this. Because sometimes when you go through suffering, you're like, how can that be God's mercy? And sometimes it is God's mercy to wake us up to who he is. So here's what I want you to see. When God shakes, shakes things, when we see calamities around us, it does disturb God. It does grieve the heart of God, but I want you to see it as God's mercy Waking us up not to trust in this world. So are we trusting a shakable world or an unshakable God? Are we trusting a shakable world or an unshakable God? Pastor John Piper writes it this way. He gives some good thoughts to this. He says, God means to give birth pangs to the world. So that the world wakes up and knows something is about to happen. This is mercy that with all the tragedy that there is and all the calamities of the world, it's the Lord stark voice. It's this loud stark voice of the Lord, the Holy God saying, get ready. There's a shaking coming that will leave no house standing No building standing, no place to stand, but the throne. There was a letter that was written to a pastor in the United States from a church, a group of Christians that lived on the island of St. Croix. And basically the Hurricane Hugo that came in the late 80s completely devastated the island. I mean, completely just went right over. Eventually it would make landfall in the United States in Charleston, South Carolina, we, when we lived in Char- Charleston, South Carolina, it was not long after Hugo hit Charleston, and you could still see a year or two later this complete devastation that this massive Category 3, Category 4 hurricane did in the United States. But it basically just blew over this island of St. Croix. And this was a letter that was written by Christians to a pastor in the United States. And, the, and, and, and this is... The last paragraph of the letter said this, of these Christians. They said, Hugo 
has further reinforced in our minds the importance of holding loosely to material things. In one night, accumulated wealth for which people had labored for many years was turned over to wind and rain, which was soon followed by the thieves. The question for believers and unbelievers alike is this. Are you worshiping an unshakable God or are you worshiping shakable possessions? And so just maybe, just maybe, as we look at what our world is going through today and our country is going through today, maybe there's a shaking going on. That God is shaking the things that maybe we have put our hope in that we should not be putting our hope in. And maybe our prayer for our country should be this. God, in your mercy, do what you need to do so that people's hearts would turn to you and not to things that do not last. And how many of you know, and some of you, maybe you came to the Lord because it was your last hope. You know what? That's okay. Right? That's okay. Because sometimes when things are taken away from us, we really realize that those things do not give us hope. Those things cannot set us free. And I believe that there's a shaking going on in the church. On what we really believe, and I believe we as the church has to stand on the truth of Jesus Christ and on the word of God more than we've ever had before. Because there's a shaking and, and, and our moral uh, moorings and our bearings are being shaken and what we believe and what we believe is truth. And we need to stand on that truth. But here's the thing. As God humbles us, I believe he will give us the correct eyes to see and allow us to have compassion and love for our country and to realize people need the Lord. We're going to take communion, but let me just finish with this. Let me just finish with this. When you love someone and you see them going through a difficult time, doesn't it hurt you? It's like, man, you don't, you don't want them to go through it and, and you're hurting. And maybe, maybe it's because of the bad choices they, they've made. I'm sure it was like that with the father, with the, with the prodigal son, right? You, you don't want them to go through that. You, you see them, you're like, man, you're like, do you know the decisions that you're making? I could literally help you not make those decisions, right? But yet they go off and they still make bad decisions and your heart breaks, and you're like, why are they making those decisions? Let me help you. Right? And sometimes they go through it. And they see that it's not all that it was. And their life becomes shipwrecked. So that the mercy and grace of God can pour out into their lives. And that's where you have to pray. Say, God, you, only you can grab their hearts. God, only you can grab the heart of this country. And so whatever you need to do in accordance to your word, you are sovereign. Then, God, I want to be in, in your will, but I want to make sure that my heart is in the right place. And believe me, I'm with you. I get frustrated when I see what goes on. But I want to see our country through the eyes of Christ, through the gospel message. That Jesus died for sinners. 
And that my prayer is that when things, when the rug is pulled out, when those things that everybody's put their hope in is not there, that they would see an immovable God that never changes. That the true church of Jesus Christ would shine as a sparkling example of what it means to trust the Lord. That through our humility before the Lord, we would able to minister to the hurting world. And listen, listen to me. You don't think the consequences to some of the choices that are people that people are making today because of our church or because of what the world or what our government has legislated is not going to come back to hurt people. It will. It's not, it's not my place to point the finger and judge. It is my place to present the gospel of Christ, to bring healing to those that have been bamboozled by the world's philosophies. That's our job. Capiche? Amen.